Good evening. Today's reading is from Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Will you please stand as we read God's word? Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth the ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening the treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, Merry Christmas. I, I trust that uh, you had a wonderful day in preparation for tomorrow. Um, I chose this passage for tonight as we reflect together on the significance of tomorrow. Is, uh, something has always struck me about the Magi in the sense that they came to worship him. At the heart of Christmas, and I know there are many traditions, there's a variety of traditions that surround tomorrow, from a Christian perspective, at the heart of Christmas is this issue, worship. It's why we gather tonight. It's why we enjoyed the songs that we sang before even hearing and considering this text together, is at the heart of it we recognize something significant happened. And as a result of the significant mercy and grace of God, we respond in worship. So if you would, I know that this passage is quite familiar, but if you would allow just for a few moments before we head off and we go off to our families for tomorrow and celebrate the kindness of God, it's just to consider with me this passage who has really revealed three different forms of worship or response, particularly to the the appearing of Christ. Um, when Joseph was, was, saw Mary pregnant, he, he didn't understand what was going on. He perceived that the relationship was over. But it was prophesied some 400 years before Mary's pregnancy that there would be one who was promised who would come and die or atone for the iniquities of men. Some 500 years, 100 years even before Daniel, it was written in Isaiah 53.6 that there would come this one Like all of us, like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to our own way. The Lord has caused, there's this promise, the iniquity of us all to fall on him. 
At the heart of Christmas is responsive worship, recognizing who he is and what he is about to accomplish. So when Joseph sees Mary pregnant, perceives that the relationship is over, the father revealed himself in a dream to Joseph and, de- and determined through what he had all revealed in the prophets. In Matthew 1, 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And so one of the reasons, the primary reason why we gather on a Christmas Eve night is surrounded by this heart of worship in light of knowing what Christ is going to do for those who hope in him. The Magi traveled a significant journey to do simply this. And think of it. He's a toddler. He may not even remember it. The significance of it is they knew what he was going to accomplish for them. And so just like all scripture has proclaimed, the Magi came with haste, as John 3.16, they knew that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If there is any time where something must be said plainly, it would be tonight. Christ came to save us from our sins. There are a variety of traditions, but there is one truth. We have rebelled against God and in a desperate need of a Savior. And the Magi's response is quite interesting. So if you'd allow with me, children, this is for you as well as those of us who are established in life. He came to save us all from our sins, whether you're three or whether you're 93. And in this account, you see three different responses. And I don't want to take the entire evening too long, for I know we all anticipate what comes tomorrow. But it is helpful to reflect on the response of a king, specifically King Herod. We'll look at the response of the religious leaders who were supposed to know that he was coming and their lack of response. And finally, conclude our time before we do the candlelight, considering the Magi. So at the heart of Christmas, as I already said, is that at the heart of it is worship for what he will do for us. And so consider with me Herod's response. Reading from Matthew 1, 2, 1, and 2 again. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, these poor Magi, like it's it's not normal custom to ask a king who's king of Jerusalem where it's the born king of Jerusalem. The normal kings don't like their authority being challenged. These guys are out of town, so they come. And they come to King Herod, and they say in verse 2, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen, we saw his star in the east, and have come to worship him. You can notice Herod's response to this. In verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. The term there is, I don't know if it's sufficient, but he is tormented by this reality. King Herod had a reputation. Um, uh, Josephus in his writings write about him. He was a significant figure, built incredible architecture, built up the Temple Mount. He had won the hearts of the Jews. Um, but one thing that he knew is that he was voted in by the Roman Senate to become king of the Jews. 
Josephus actually writes this. They resolved to get him made king of the Jews. Herod knew that there once was a time when he was not king. And he hears about these group of men or women who have come a long distance to come worship him who is born king. And he is tormented by it. He, even in his own family, they knew this. Like anyone who would even question his authority. In his own family, he had eliminated sons, wives, close relatives to him, who even put a plot of fear that they might overthrow him, and he would simply eliminate him. So you can understand verse 4. So when the Magi come, when Herod the king heard this in verse 3, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem. Because they knew a troubled king in light of this, how he might respond to those all around him. And so all of Jerusalem with him was on edge. And so his first initial response to this is to go to the religious leaders and say, is this true that there's one who was to come born king? And look what he does in verse 4. This is his response. The appearing of Christ. He gathered together in verse 4 all the chief priests, the scribes, the people, those who were supposed to know And he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For this is what has been written by the prophet. And they quote Micah. And you, Bethlehem and land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Not only does the Magi come to Herod and say, We have seen his star. This one who's born king actually claims the star as his own. But not only that, he has prophecy already predicting his appearing. In light of this testimony, verse 7, Herod's response, he secretly called the Magi and determined for them the exact time the star appeared. They think the child here is there's a variety of ideas, but he's not just born. Some think even up to two years. Jesus at this point is a toddler. Herod's response to this, And he sent them, verse 8, to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, this one who's been born king. And when when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. And we who have read the tradition throughout the years know Herod's intentions were not honorable. His intentions were to eliminate this one who was born king. The initial response, imagine If God moved the universe to make known his son, here we have one who has borne witness of this testimony through the stars and through scripture, and yet his response is not worship, but rejection. Specifically, God intervenes, he warns the Magi, and in verse 12, God reveals that his intentions were not accurate. In verse 12, and being having been warned by God, the Magi, in a dream, not to return to Herod, The Magi left for their own country by another way. Herod clearly was at a disadvantage. And the reality is, is that Herod's actions, while he might perceived as one who was worshiping in his own heart and in his actions, were rebellious. He was one who was interested, but only interested to eliminate. That's the first response we see in in this account. There's actually one another rejection that's actually more troubling to me. And that is the religious leaders. They're mentioned really quick. Really, they're only mentioned in chapter, or verses 4, 5, and 6. 
When Herod gathers, the, gathers them all together, the chief priests and the scribes of the people, these guys, these leaders, are the ones who are supposed to know when the sons, the king, the promised king is supposed to come. When he acquired of them where the Messiah was to be born, you don't have a verse between verse 4 and 5, as if they went back to the temple to read the scriptures to determine where the child was to be born. No, you don't. You go strictly to verse 6 and they quote it. They know exactly where this child is supposed to be born. They know who the star belongs to. And they say, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Imagine this, you see a star for a quite a bit long time. The people that know where the child is supposed to be born have not for two years made the trip to worship him. Do you know how far Jerusalem is from Bethlehem? Five miles. And on top of that, I'm familiar with this because I run, um, it's 2,000 feet below Jerusalem. I know that running uphill is a lot harder than running downhill. Just go run up candy. Time goes much quicker downhill. But the reality is this. For two some odd years, they're unwilling to make an hour to an hour, 15 minute walk. Because they have loved what King Herod has done for them. And their allegiance for him, even though they see the evidence of God's fulfillment before them, remain unmoved. They know the scriptures. They know that they're sinners. That they are rebels before God. That they needed a, a savior who would atone for their sins. And when he came, unmoved. It amazes me even still to this day. While we might say we're religious, most of us could look at King Herod and say, that's not me. But I think there are more people who identify with the religious leaders than we realize. We know within our hearts we have rebelled against God. We have seen the testimonies revealed within other people and indefinitely within the scriptures. And we recognize that God is indeed gracious, yet in all those testimonies and witness that God has borne to humanity, what is in the heart of man that we remain unmoved? Unwilling to respond and just wanting to get along with what our normal traditions would be. Christmas is about worship. And the first two characters, which we read in Matthew chapter 2, the people who should be responding to worship don't move. And the, the reality is, as we know, King Herod, is, he actually gets pretty aggressive and tries to kill the child while being a child. But it's these religious leaders, as you continue to read the Gospel of Matthew, who end up leading the crowds to move the crowds to proclaim, crucify him. So even an idle or non-response is a response. Even know that it is true that we are all sinners in desperate need of a Savior, that God has borne witnesses throughout through all the Scriptures, that it is evident for all men for a need of a Savior. In light of that, they remained unmoved to make a five-mile walk. The gospel is there. It is so close. It's not complicated. It is plain. God has spoken very clearly throughout all scriptures his intent to live eternally with you and I. That's why we come to worship. The significance of a born child who was going to specifically atone for our sins is the very reason, three, the Magi came. It's the very reason that they're willing to confront an earthly king. Hey, king, king of the Jerusalem, Hey, we know of a better king. That takes some guts. 
to question the authority. Oh, and by the way, the, the, the king that's going to king over Jerusalem, he's a toddler. That takes some guts to make a presentation. And they traveled, <laughs> the religious leaders can't make an hour walk. They have traveled, some have argued for two years to worship a toddler. What is worship? I mean, it's one thing to show up and I like this or make a commitment to follow Christ, to enjoy Christ. But the commitment which the Magi present before us as the reader is a devotion that requires losing all things to merely show one's admiration and devotion to him. In which they say, verse 2, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star. We know his star in the east and have come to worship. And you might have missed it when it was read. Wherever that star goes, they go. Even when they find themselves in this interesting dilemma with, with Herod, as soon as the star, so do they. With me at verse 8. So when Herod sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and worship well, go and search carefully for the child. When you have found him, report to me so that I may come and worship him. Verse 9. And after hearing the king, they went their way. And the star, which had been seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. Herod, rejection. The religious leaders unmoved. The magi, wherever the star go, his stars is going to lead him to him. And we know even by our own standards today, stars guide, but his star guided them to him. Look at their response. I think Matthew write these things for us to respond like them. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly. It's the contrast of Herod's response. He's tormented, they're overwhelmed. And when they see him, look at verse 11. And coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Uh, We know the custom that to fall on the ground and to worship someone is to show the one who is bowing is showing his perceived inferior position. He's bowing. They're bowing before a toddler. They didn't even give that reverence to Herod. But here they bow down. And not only does it show one's inferior position, but it also is a sign of one's devotion. How long would you travel? How long would we travel to follow that same standard? The heart of Christmas is the heart of worship for what he will do for his people, for he will save his people from their sins. And they were willing to make that journey to show their devotion to this one who was born king. And they gave out of that response their treasure. Notice this in verse 11. They, in opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, frankincense, and myrrh. I love the story. You have two rejections. One mild, one aggressive. Although the one mild becomes, no response becomes an ultimate response of rejection as you go through the gospel. Participating in the same thing that Herod did. But Magi shows a totally overwhelmingly different response, willing to give up of their treasures to worship him. They came to worship him. We came to worship him this evening. If you allow me one more thing, you're doing great, children. When, when there's, Jesus begins his ministry, 
And before, excuse me, before he begins his ministry, the Spirit led Christ out into the wilderness and he was tempted by Satan. And there's this one situation which Jesus is tempted with. And I want you to just consider it with me. Matthew 4, 8 and 10, 8 through 10. And the, angel, and the devil is tempting Jesus. And in the third account, this is what happens. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, the king, Christ. All these things, as if he could hand these off. These are Satan's possession. He said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, go, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. If you read the Gospel of Matthew, there's one person that gets worshipped. And it's Christ. The Magi came two years journey to worship the King. As you read the Gospel of Matthew, the disciples are trying to learn who is this one who can calm the seas. Who is this one who can provide food for those who are hungry with so little or raise the dead? And yet through all of this, Christ taught plainly, I have come to die for your sins. And when he did it, he had promised, I will raise from the dead. I want you to see one last thing before we close to sing Silent Night together and enjoy Christmas tomorrow. When the disciples saw the fulfillment of what Christ was promised to do, after his resurrection, the angels came before the women. They said this to them, Matthew 28, 7 and 9. Go quickly. And tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. A toddler couldn't stop the Magi from worshiping him. But the reality is, as you read the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus never hinders anyone from worshiping him. And when the disciples, when the women left the tomb, verse 8 Quickly with fear and great joy, the same response of the Magi, and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them, the disciples. Look at their response. And greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. We needed a Savior. The heart of Christmas is what Christ is going to accomplish for us. We need a Savior. And Christ atoned for it and resurrected, and the right response of worship is not rejection. It's worship for the one who has come to eternally enjoy life with you forever. And this is what Christ has promised. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, he has eternal life. That's why we sing. It was promised by Christ. We're in Tri-Cities. We're a long ways away from Jerusalem. It was promised to Jesus that we, or we would be able to experience hearing the gospel. He promised to Matthew and Mark and Luke that the gospel must go forth to the utter ends of the world. And we have here in Tri-Cities have experienced it. Personally, I can testify that I have heard the gospel in my desperate need for a Savior and God's gracious patience for me to hear and to respond to it has been my delight and I know yours. The significance of a candlelight is this. It spreads. In light of that spreading, we recognize what happens is that Christ, who has been born king, has been faithful to his promises to allow the world to hear his message that there is a Savior 
who will atone for your sins and restore the means by which we can have a right relationship with him for eternity. The requirement? He's your king. No earthly king. Not the normal traditions that we enjoy. Christ is king. And the devotion that is required is the response of faith that I will follow you wherever you might lead me, giving up all your treasures to enjoy him. The kingdom of God is like a rich man or a man who found a treasure in a field and gave up everything that he might have so that he might buy that field and receive that which was in the land, the treasure, which is Christ. We're going to sing Silent Night and you will notice the last line as the candles are lit and it goes forth into the room and spreads the last two lines, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. He's not like Herod who became king. He's not like any president who becomes president. He has, as our, uh, Greg has said earlier, he came as king because he has always been king. And we have witnessed through the prophecies and through the testimony of the scriptures his gracious response to reveal himself as our king and our savior. And so with that, would you pray with me as we anticipate and rejoice for what happens tomorrow?